you're listening to a message from Every Nation Canberra. In this message, Pastor Joe Sulit uses Exodus 3 verses 1 to 6 to talk about how God sees and hears us no matter where we are, and that we all need Him to bring us out of our personal Egypts. Let's give God a praise. Bebot is recovering well, and thank you to those who have generously given from their heart. And I just want to continue this. God said, give according to the purpose of your heart. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You know, when we came to Australia, what I noticed is that Australians love to do road trips, right? Who among you here love to go on a road trip? A lot of people, right? What was your longest drive, if ever? Anyone here? Longest drive? Adelaide. How long did it take you to go there? 13 hours? One three from Canberra to Adelaide? Oh, straight? Ah, okay. You know, when we were in Manila, driving in the city was enough road trip already, right? Manila is as big as Canberra, right? And a drive from the north to the south would normally take you, during rush hours, about four hours. Like from here to Tagranong would take you four hours. So that's enough road trip. May joke nga kami, no? There are times when we travel to Hong Kong, the driver who took us to the airport, by the time we were checked in the hotel in Hong Kong, the driver hasn't arrived home yet. That's how uh, bad the traffic is in, in Manila, right? This is an outback sign near the town of Laverton, Western Australia. Well, this town is located at the edge of Australia's two largest deserts, the Victoria and the Great Sandy. This is the starting point, actually, of a very long stretch of road called the Outback Way. Who's familiar with the the road called the Outback Way? There's a BBC article that says, Could this be the emptiest road in the world? The Outback Way is actually a shortcut. It's interesting because it is Australia's longest shortcut. It's a diagonal way through the desert that saves you weeks of travel. The entire length from uh, Liverton to the other end is about 2,700 kilometers. So if you're driving straight 13 hours to Adelaide, this would take you at a modest 100 kph, about 27 hours. And there are about 362 kilometers in between fuel stops. That's kind of scary. You know, when I drive to Yas, I get scared. What more if you're driving with no GPS signal and, you know, if you don't have a satellite phone, it's scary. But that's the way it is. The reason why I'm saying this is because we are starting a very new series today called The Road Out. It's a study on the book of Exodus. Exodus is a Greek word that means way out, exit, going out, departure. And when we say about when we talk about the book of Exodus, who do we remember? Moses. We rem- we remember Egypt, Moses, the great plague. You know, the Ten Commandments, the parting of the Red Sea. And just to give you an overview of what Exodus is all about, here's a video that talks about the first half of Exodus. Let's uh, watch it. The book of Exodus 
It's the second book of the Bible, and it picks up the storyline from the previous book, Genesis, which ended with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, leading his large family of 70 people down to Egypt. Now, Jacob's 11th son, Joseph, had been elevated to second in command over Egypt, and he had saved his whole family in a famine. And so Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, offered the family to come live there as a safe haven. And so eventually Jacob dies there in Egypt, and Joseph and all his brothers do too. About 400 years pass, and the story of the Exodus begins. Now, that name refers to the event that takes place in the first half of the book, Israel's Exodus from Egypt. But the book has a second half that takes place at the foot of Mount Sinai. In this video, we'll just focus on the first half, where centuries have passed, and the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied, and they filled the land. Now, this line is a deliberate echo back to the blessing that God gave all humanity back in the Garden of Eden. And it reminds us of the big biblical story so far. Humanity forfeited God's blessing through sin and rebellion, and so God chose Abraham's family as the vehicle through which he would restore his blessing to all the world. But the new Pharaoh does not view Israel as a blessing. He actually thinks this growing Israelite immigrant group is a threat to his power. And so just as in Genesis, humanity rebels against God's blessing, so here Pharaoh attempts to destroy the source of God's blessing, the Israelites. He brutally enslaves them in forced labor, and then he orders that all the Israelite boys be drowned in the Nile River. Now, Pharaoh, he is the worst character in the Bible so far. His kingdom epitomizes humanity's rebellion against God. Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil according to his own interests that even the murder of innocent children has become good to him. And so Egypt has become worse than Babylon from the book of Genesis. And so now Israel cries out for help against this new Babylon, and God responds. God first turns Pharaoh's evil upside down as an Israelite mother throws her boy into the Nile River, but in a basket. And so he floats safely right down into Pharaoh's own family. He's named Moses, and he grows up to eventually become the man that God will use to defeat Pharaoh's evil. In the famous story of the burning bush, God appears to Moses and commissions him to go to Pharaoh and order him to release the Israelites. And God says that he knows Pharaoh will resist, and so he will bring his judgment on Egypt in the form of plagues. Then God also says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And so we're introduced into the next main part of the story, the confrontation between God and Pharaoh. Now, what does this mean that God says he'll harden Pharaoh's heart? It's super important to read this section of the story really closely and in sequence. In Moses and Pharaoh's first encounter, we're told simply that Pharaoh's heart grew hard. There's no implication that God did anything. And so in response, God sends the first set of five plagues, each one confronting Pharaoh and one of his Egyptian gods. And each time, Moses offers a chance for Pharaoh to humble himself and to let the Israelites go. But after each plague, we're told that Pharaoh either hardened his heart or that his heart grew hard. He's doing this of his own will. And so eventually, it's with the second set of five plagues that we begin to hear how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the point of the story seems to be this. Even though God knew that Pharaoh would resist his will, God still offered him all of these chances to do the right thing. But eventually, Pharaoh's evil reaches a point of no return. I mean, even his own advisors think that he has lost his mind. And it's at that 
point that God takes over and bends Pharaoh's evil towards his own redemptive purposes. God lures Pharaoh into his own destruction as he saves his people, which is what happens next. With the final plague, it's the night of Passover, and God turns the tables on Pharaoh. Just as he killed the sons of the Israelites, so God will kill the firstborn in Egypt with a final plague. But unlike Pharaoh, God provides a means of escape through the blood of the lamb. And here the story stops and introduces us in detail to the annual Israelite ritual of Passover. On the night before Israel left Egypt, they sacrificed a young spotless lamb and painted its blood on the doorframe of their house. And when the divine plague came over Egypt, the houses covered with the blood of the lamb were passed over and the sun spared. And so every year since, the Israelites have reenacted that night to remember and to celebrate God's justice and his mercy. But Pharaoh, because of his pride and rebellion, he loses his own son, and he's compelled to finally let the Israelites go free. And so the Israelite slaves make their exodus from Egypt. But no sooner do they leave that Pharaoh changes his mind, and he gathers his army and chases after the Israelites for a final showdown. As the Israelites pass through the waters of the sea safely, Pharaoh charges towards his own destruction. The Exodus story concludes with the first song of praise in the Bible. It's called the Song of the Sea. And the final line declares that the Lord reigns as king. And then the song retells in poetry what the story of God's kingdom is all about. It's about how God is on a mission to confront evil in his world and to redeem those who are enslaved to evil. God is going to bring his people into the promised land where his divine presence will live among them. This story is what it looks like when God becomes king over his people. So after the Israelites sing their song, the story takes a sharp turn. The Israelites, they're trekking through the wilderness on their way to Mount Sinai, and they're hungry, they're thirsty, and they start criticizing Moses and God for even rescuing them. They say they long for the good old days in Egypt. I mean, it's crazy. So God graciously provides food and water for Israel in the wilderness, but these stories, they cast a dark shadow. And we begin to wonder, could it be that Israel's heart is just as hard as Pharaoh's? We shall see. But for now, that's the first half of the book of Exodus. You know, the book of Exodus is really, really very interesting. And I encourage you to actually go back and read the book of Exodus. Egypt, during that time, represented power. The Pharaoh was obviously human, but he was revered and he was worshipped as a living God. Metamorphically, Egypt represented oppression and slavery. It represented affliction and suffering. In chapter 2 of uh, Exodus, it says, And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Unable to stun their suffering under the cruel Pharaoh any longer, the Israelites, they cried out to God. Let's open our Bible to Exodus chapter 3, and we will be reading from the English Standard Version. So if you have your Bibles with you, that's Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And you can open your phones as well if you have your Bible app with you, or just go to Google and Google Exodus 3, 1 to 6. I'll read it now. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, 
priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And in verse 7, this is what God said. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard of their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. In chapter 6, we also read, I have heard the groaning of my people, I remember my covenant. The first thing that we learn from this is that God sees and God hears. When we look plainly, read the news, watch YouTube, we'll see a lot of pain and suffering around us. And sometimes we ask ourselves, does God really see and hear the cry of His people? And we know from this verse that God saw and heard the affliction of the people. But here's the compelling truth. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in situations where we ask ourselves, where is God in all of this? When we are hurting because of the relationships with the people we love, when we are going through financial difficulty, when we have health issues, when we are stressed with work, when we are in our own Egypt, we cry out to God, and Lord, where are you in my affliction? We know that God hears and sees. The second thing that I'd like to point out is that we all have our own Egypts. And today, I want you to talk and think, just think about, think about your Egypt. For some of us, our Egypt is a place of uncertainty. You know, the fear of just not knowing what the future holds, what tomorrow will bring. You look at your life now and you compare yourself with the life of others who you think live better than you are. They have better jobs, they have more money, they have bigger cars, they have more houses than you do. And your life becomes a constant struggle of what if? What if I can't? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't make it? And we begin to doubt. So Egypt becomes a place of uncertainty. We go, this, we go to this place of constant unbelief, this place of constant negativity, until we are consumed by fear. And you know what's the first thing that fear does? Fear will rob you of your peace. To those who love to overthink, who among you here are overthinkers, and who among you love to worry before things happen? You know, a lot of us are like that. Worry will rob you of your joy. 
We wake up every morning when we're worried way down by the things we are anxious about. We worry about two things. We worry about today, what will happen later, what you're going to do today, what you're supposed to finish today, and we worry about tomorrow. I tell you, when you worry, it's exhausting. We rack our brains trying to fix things by ourselves because deep in our heart, we find it hard to believe if God can really take us out of our affliction. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6.34? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries of its own. Enough are your worries for today. For some of us, Egypt is a place of affliction when we are hurting inside. And it's hard. When you're hurting, you don't want others to see, right? You try to put up a nice face. I'm okay. But deep inside, we feel hopeless. We feel like there's no end to our pain and suffering. It's a place where we want to give up because there is nothing more to hold on anymore. Like the Israelites, our Egypt can be a place of despair. When you feel like you're at the end of your line, the future doesn't seem, you know, it seems bleak. You have lost your peace a long time ago. You have lost your hope. And for some others, they've even lost their reason for existing. When we are in the midst of our Egypt, like the Israelites were, what do we do? We do as the Israelites did. They cried out for help. And I was thinking, yesterday when I was preparing this, God revealed to me something. There's a big difference between asking God and seeking God. Would you know the difference between asking God and seeking God? When we are in our Egypt, our first resort is to ask God, God, please do this. God, please change my spouse. God, please fix this. God, please help my daughter. God, please help my business. The Bible says, ask and you shall seek and you shall find. But here's the thing. When you ask, you get something. When you seek, you discover something. I believe personally that the reason God brings us to our Egypts is not for us to ask Him to deliver us. That's our first resort. Lord, take me out of this. God brings us to our Egypt because He wants us to seek Him and not ask Him to fix things. God wants a relationship with us. How do we seek God? Here's the third thing. We seek God in prayer. Sadly, for most of us, prayer becomes our last resort. Why? Because our first resort is to complain. We are creatures of comfort. In winter, we complain it's cold. In spring, we complain there's too much pollen. In summer, we complain it's too hot, right? During the fall, we complain it's going to be winter soon, right? Where do we put ourselves? We feel entitled. Remember, faith begins at the end of your comfort zone. This is your comfort zone, right? Faith ends 
when you are taken out of your comfort zone because this outside your comfort zone is where you allow God to do only what He can do. When we are in our Egypt, we keep on asking why. Why is this happening to me? Why did I get this? Why is my life miserable? Why did I get this sickness? We want answers and we want them now. But have you really prayed about it more than you questioned God about what's happening in your life? Let's admit it. Our first response to stress is worry. That's a human response. We have this worry first, pray later syndrome, right? Who among you prays first before they worry? Most of the time, we worry first before we pray. When we worry, we rest our faith in the situation. When we pray, we rest our faith in the one who controls the situation. God sees and God hears. And the fourth thing is God responds. When you seek God with your heart and soul, you will find Him. But here's the thing again. Sometimes what God does and what God, how God responds is not the way we want it. God's answers, you know, answers us in a way that's different from how we want Him to answer us. Remember, God does things in His own way, in His own time, for His glory, not for ours. And I believe there are three ways in which God responds to us. First, God will say yes immediately, and He gives it to you, right? Sometimes the answer is a straightforward no, and we all struggle when God says no, right? But when we realize that His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts, we struggle a little bit, but we surrender to the sovereignty of God in our lives, and we catch up on it, and we move on with our life. God's third response is the most challenging because sometimes God is just silent. There are times when this is how He chooses to answer us because He wants us to wait, right? And waiting is never easy. God wants us to see if we will remain steadfast and faithful until the pain is over, until the answer comes, until God opens the door. When God wants us to wait, right, His response is not based on when we want it. His response is based on His timeline, not on ours. The Bible says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. We all have our Egypts. And my prayer is that more than a place for us to ask God for a blessing, may our Egypts be a place for us to seek and to know God. Seek Him, seek Him first. Seek God in the good, seek God in the bad. Seek Him when life happens. Seek Him in joy. Seek Him in sadness. Seek Him in every moment. Someone said, when you no longer have the time to ask God for His blessing, you will have more time to seek God for Himself or seek God as Himself. 
We seek God for a relationship, not as a resource. Remember that. You can ask God. There's nothing wrong with it. But please, seek God not because you want to get something from Him. Seek God because you want to know Him more. You want to have a deeper relationship with Him. Let's pray. In Deuteronomy 4.29, it says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you search Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful Saturday morning that we can come together and worship you and pray together and hear your word. Lord, help us to seek to have you in our life, not in the things that we have, not in the places that we want to go to, not in our circumstances, not in human relationships, not in anything but in you and you alone. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers, that you see the groaning and yearning in our hearts. Lord, I pray for each and everyone who is here today, living in their own little Egypts, a place of despair, a place of hopelessness, a place of helplessness. Lord, thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you see our yearning. And Lord, whether your answer is yes, whether it's no, or whether it's wait, teach us to worship you while waiting, to thank you in the midst of our trials and to believe that you have our best intentions at heart. May the grace, the peace, and the blessing of our Lord be with you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say, Amen and Amen. You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra. For more podcasts and for more information on Every Nation Canberra, please visit everynationcanberra.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanberra and on Instagram at instagram.com slash encanberra. We meet every Saturday at 104 The Valley Avenue, Gungahlin. Would you like to be connected to a tag group? Email us at everynationcanberra at gmail.com.